Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. It's me, Kenny, and I'm here with Beth. Hi, Beth. Hi, Kenny. And Juliana's back. We didn't scare her away. (laughs) Hi, Juliana. Hi, Kenny. It's uh, nice to be back. And Amanda is taking a much-needed week of rest. Enjoy, Amanda. Oh, and Amanda, while you're on your day of rest, don't forget to take the listener survey. And for everyone else out there, if you have a minute, don't forget to take the listener survey. I feel like I'm just adding that in because every week we ask you to take the listener survey. All right, enough of that. Let's get into the five things. This week, we're talking about some really interesting things. Pretty pumped. We'll kick it off with Congress warning the social media CEOs of new limits. Beth will tell us a little bit about Facebook adding COVID-19 spread prediction maps. We'll talk about Facebook expanding cloud gaming. Juliana is ready to tell us about Snapchat adding barcode scanning features. And then Beth will take us home talking about Instagram extending the length and the limit for Instagram live broadcasts. With that, let's dive into the five things. Number one, Congress warns social media CEOs of new limits. This is very interesting to me. Uh, we are at the time of this recording less than a week away from the most consequential election in US history. Vote, 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 vote. And at the time of this recording, we'll be a day away, right? I mean, when this goes out into the world. And um, there have been stories of uh, Twitter and Facebook and Google potentially suppressing um, conservative uh, pieces of content. There are some liberal organizations that are saying that content is being suppressed. And I think the Congress and the president have called out these CEOs and encouraged them at this point in time uh, to, to make sure that they are not um, doing anything that would ruin the integrity of the election. And those CEOs have come back and said, we are not biased. We are going to defend the election. Um, So this is a continued conversation for us as a a crew here at Five Things, where we talk about the uh, responsibility of these CEOs and their platforms to play a a role in this election that doesn't take away from from its integrity. So with that, uh, I open it up to this esteemed panel to talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on with the networks and and how we can make sure that we are being good citizens on these platforms. Beth, Juliana, anything you want to talk about? I think this one's really interesting. I, uh, I've been following this story a bit as it's kind of progressed and, um, the hearings that are being scheduled. Um, and what's so interesting about it to me is that the thing that has made these social platforms not only a viable business, but, um, a place where people can go and really say, what they're feeling and have this platform for free speech has been the ability for these networks to not take on the liability of content that's been posted on their um, channel. And they've, I think this law has helped them um, get away with not policing the networks uh, 
as well as I think some people would have liked them to. But the times that we're living in have created a very interesting dynamic where there is misinformation that I think deserves to be labeled as such on the platform, especially as these platforms become more and more of a place where people go to truly get information, not just post about their friends and family. Um, so kudos to the, the CEOs that are, you know, having to hold down uh, the integrity of the election. And um, it'll be really interesting to see how this unfolds. I think that last thing that you were just saying, Beth, about how it seems to be in the hands of three Silicon Valley tech people uh, to uphold the integrity of democracy in this country just really goes to show that no matter how much you wish that, you know, business can kind of live in a vacuum and that one can pursue profits uh, kind of agnostic to things going on in a more political, um, in more political terms, that just isn't the reality anymore. Any business that involves the way that people communicate or really interact with each other um, at this point is political. And I think it's just necessary to, to all businesses to be conscious of that. You know, there's the benefit that we can reach people in any way we want, but there obviously now is a lot more of kind of this, this onus to do it in a way that is responsible, uh, depending on, I guess, whose definition of responsible. 2020 is going to be the year where social media went from being the vanity tool of society and just sort of the thing the kids do to being one of the most critical components of the future of our democracy and the future of our business and the future of our economy. It is 2020 is the, is the tipping point where social media now needs to be, uh, treated and regulated in the same ways that television and print and everything else that sort of can impact mass, um, mass information is right. Like it's at that point it's reached it. And I think 2020 has made, it will be remembered for a lot of things, but I think that's one of them. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see the progression of the platforms following everything that's happening right now. More to come. (laughs) More to come. So I'm fascinated by what Facebook has done in terms of their COVID-19 information center. Uh, we've done some work with our clients at AARP in this information center. Um, and it's, it's really an unbelievable tool for the masses to understand what's going on um, with the spread of COVID. And Beth, I know recently there was a spread prediction map that was added uh, to Facebook. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So as you can imagine, this made my like data nerd head explode. I I think this is so cool. Um, what's really interesting about it, though, is I think when people look at this um, spread prediction map, a lot of people's gut reaction is, oh, my God, Facebook's using my data to map out this prediction map. And, you know, I think you get a lot of that like data privacy flare up, but actually Facebook is not using their own data. They're using publicly available data. So they're really just taking kind of those brilliant statisticians that work at and modelers that work at Facebook and employing them to, um, 
create this map. But basically what it shows is the next likely area for high increase in COVID cases. Um, and it can be helpful not only to the general public, but there's a lot of researchers who are looking at it. Um, there's a lot of health professionals who are using it in their research. Um, I wish I had more information about how it was actually being modeled and put together and what data they were using. But from the little that I could get, it sounds like they're using um, publicly available location data and kind of the movement of people who have been um, diagnosed with COVID or are positive for a test. So it's it's super cool. I think it's a great addition to this information center. You know, Facebook always has to tread lightly because the last thing that they're looking for is another kind of Cambridge Analytica scandal where people's private data have been used in a public forum. But it sounds like that's not what they're doing. And it's super cool. I mean, it's like predictive modeling that actually does something. It's super cool. What do you guys think? I guess a question on my end, um, since it's coming from Facebook or the information is coming from Facebook versus say uh, a Dr. Fauci or maybe researchers that people have um, or, or institutions that people feel have bias or, or misinformation tacked to them. Do you think people will be more receptive if Facebook is telling them that there's a possibility of spikes or their, their area might be vulnerable? I mean, I would guess so. We've, we've talked a lot on this podcast about people's, um, almost blind belief in things they see on Facebook being true. So I think that's where this information center is really great is if we know that people's behavior is to go to these social media platforms and just trust what they read. At least we know now that the data that they're trusting is real. And um, I think it, I, I totally think it could have even more weight, unfortunately, than the lead scientists in our country. Um, the one thing that's a little tricky about the map is it cuts the data, it looks like, by DMA. So there's all these tiny little blue boxes that could get a little tricky to read, but I think it gives you some like directional areas that are um, likely to see a spike. And hopefully you would know where on the map you live. I wonder why they cut it by DMA. Mm. Oh. Does anyone know? <laughs> Always <laughs> I see go that there. smiling. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. That could be sketchy. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, listen, everything in the information center is by vetted sources. So I feel like uh, they are doing right by the public by having it there. But of course, vetting by DM, uh, cutting it by DMA is just... It could be zip code. I could be wrong. I could just be in my marketer head and thinking DMA. Um, some of them look a little big to be a zip code. Our intrepid producer, Joey, will take a look at the end of the show and make sure to put a disclaimer. Beth is the reason that misinformation is being spread. Um, on that note, let's pivot to something else that Facebook is doing, which is really interesting. Um, they just launched uh, their expanded cloud gaming uh, initiative, which is going to be awesome. I wish Amanda were here to talk about this, uh, but we can all talk about it. We play games. We're normal. Yeah. Um, so the fun thing about this is basically if you have an Android device or 
you're on Facebook desktop and you're connected to the internet, you can play gaming without downloading anything. And they're expanding that to include more titles and more games and more opportunities to connect with friends. I love that Facebook is doing this. Um, I think it'll be very interesting as we start to see the expanded gaming universe with the new PS5, the new Xbox One, um, the expansion of everything you can play on your phone with Apple Arcade and what Facebook is doing now with cloud gaming to allow people to connect and play together. Uh, I think this is a really interesting spot an opportunity, uh, not only for game developers, but for marketers to start to connect with their fans through this medium. Um, we've done some work here at Gray for our client Venus around uh, the game Animal Crossing, which is a smash hit during COVID-19 of people playing at home. Uh, and I think this gaming component is very interesting. So open it up to you, Beth and Juliana, if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, so... I'm I'm interested to see how brands take advantage of this. I know um, we've done some work with our brands in gaming, um, but I think you know the more the gaming becomes available to the general public, the more opportunity we have as marketers to take advantage of that platform. So I think it's it's really great, and I do wish Amanda was here to talk to us about it because I know this is her place of expertise. But what do you think, Juliana? No, I I feel bad as well. I know Amanda's probably somewhere punching the air. Uh, I just find it really intriguing the way that the gaming community, like, and I, I don't think this is anything you know entirely new, but kind of the way that they're taking over by storm in like kind of every space, just recognizing that there's a level of passion and enthusiasm that exists around both, yes, the way that they're interacting with games and watching people play, but also just their sort of responsiveness to brands that seem to get them. And so in thinking about the fact that now basically anyone can become a gamer and you don't have to have the super expensive console or have the, you know, super elaborate setup, you know, just thinking about how, what that will mean for the definition of being a gamer as time goes on, you know, will the crowd that used to be playing uh, Farmville or whatever have you on Facebook now be dropping in. So that's a really good point. A couple of things to note, similarly to what Fortnite is dealing with, with their issues with the app store and iOS, Facebook is facing the same thing. There's certain functionality within this gaming platform um, that did not comply with the iOS rules for the app store. So I think um, you're going to see an interesting standoff over the next few months and years between Apple and Facebook that I think will be very interesting. Um, additionally, if you're interested in Legends by Gameloft, from Asphalt 9, Mobile Legends, Adventure by Moontown, PGA Tour Golf, and various other things, this is the platform for you. Um, something you should note, Facebook has also added a new playable ad type for developers. So you can actually make the ads playable as a way to immediately jumpstart engagement, um, which I think is a really interesting opportunity for marketers uh, to get in on this. They're really cool looking. So like essentially if there's like a tennis game, like Tennis Clash, you can play the little match in the ad before you jump right into the game. Um, Facebook is now seeing 380 million people playing games on the platform every month. And Facebook gaming has surpassed over a billion hours being watched for the first time in Q3. So that's so cool. That is, that's an insane, insane amount of engagement, um, which just is fascinating to me. Like, I, I don't even know, you know, I think Beth from a 
data side of things alone, what this tells us about consumer behavior is fascinating. Yeah, I I mean, it really is. And I think that the point that Juliana brought up about that lower barrier to entry, you don't have to spend a fortune to have the most updated system to be part of this world is it's really cool. And I think those engagement numbers are showing you the people that want to be part of this world and want to participate and love gaming that now kind of have that outlet without having to, you know, drop $500 for the new PlayStation, whatever. Um, Nothing like a PlayStation, whatever. PlayStation, whatever. (laughs) Um, All right, Juliana. Um, I'm really interested in this one because I think we talk about Snap's expanded capabilities and, you know, how you can do product integration. So tell us a little bit about how Snap's adding barcode scanning features uh, to the app and the functionality. Yeah, I'm more than happy to. So uh, as another step, essentially, in SnapTouch world of VR and visual search, uh, the the app has just released it soon. Users will be able to scan packaged food and wine labels with their Snap camera, and they can use that to get more information on the products. So already Snapchat has um, uh, options for or has the ability for users to like scan a dog to learn their breed or scan a plant to get more info on them. And so similarly, when users scan wine, they'll get reviews and info about the wine pulled from an online wine marketplaces database. And when they scan food, they'll get you know nutritional information, including the food's flavors, uh, ratings on the quality of ingredients and nutritional pros and cons of eating it. So I'm just going to set aside, you know, the possibly questionable choice of an app full of teenagers now having the opportunity to instantly scrutinize the health content of whatever they're eating. Um, I think that's a conversation for a different podcast, but from a purely marketing and branding perspective, I am just really in love with how Snapchat is essentially WeChatifying itself. You know, I think when you think about how WeChat is basically this super app in China um, that people spend so much of their time in because of the fact that it has, you know, all these capabilities and all this different functionality that it just really doesn't make sense to go anywhere else. You know, Snapchat is essentially doing this with all the different arms of its capabilities, you know, allowing you to, to, to search products or, or, or learn more about things. And. I think when we last spoke, uh, when we last spoke about Snap, uh, Kenny, what I loved about a point that you made was, you know, Snapchat isn't out here trying to eat anybody's lunch. It's kind of embraced the sense that, you know, some people just won't get it and that's fine, but they're more concerned with building this rich ecosystem that brings sort of like constant surprise and delight for the people who do get it. And I think that's really the main thing that brands can take away from this. You know, it's not always a matter of how do I grow outward, but how do I constantly reward the people that engage with me so that they do it more and deeper every day? So I'm just, I'm just, (laughs) yeah, I like that it, um, you know, in the examples that they show when they talk about this functionality, the first thing that they do is they show how you can see like the nutritional facts and some of the other things related to like the actual product. I'm interested to see when they start to overlay how the barcodes and the AR start to play together and what the potential is for brands to be able to do some really expanded storytelling. I'm obsessed with Snap right now. I, I think they're they're silently, them and Pinterest both are doing these like incredible under the radar things. And it's like, 
let Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube be at the forefront of whatever's going on in society and having that conversation. But it's like, these two are coming in and actually doing some amazing stuff for users and the audiences that are using them are taking advantage of it. I think it's awesome. And I think marketers should take the same tact, honestly. Yeah. I. The other thing is from a... A technology perspective, you know, computer vision technology has been like people have been talking about it for years now, and it's always kind of sucked and not really provided that much value. And I think that it's finally it's happening. We're seeing it happen. And it's really cool that Snap is owning that that kind of vision part and the fact that all of their content is visual and taking it to the next level. It also is interesting to think about how they're sourcing reviews and um, the importance of those review sites as brands go forward. You know, If it's not pulling from Amazon, will we see brands start to care more about the reviews that they're getting on certain wine sites or whatever databases um, Snap is using? Can we also talk about the fact that in June, Snap released a dog breed scanner so you can tell what breed a dog is when you see it on the street using the Snap camera? Yeah, like that's some really intricate and cool object identification technology like on the back end. And that's what I mean. I mean, like for a long time, social listening platforms have said, well, we can identify a logo, but a logo is very distinct to be able to identify the breed of a dog. It's really cool. I feel like it's not getting the, the um, attention that it deserves for the technology. I completely agree. It just speaks to what you're saying, Kenny, about, you know, they're, they're digging deep with their audiences. You know, if people are on Snapchat sharing their lives and, and sharing what's going on in their house, they're probably taking pictures of their dogs anyway. And so understanding your consumer and what they're up to and just finding a new way to surprise and delight them like that, that's what's important. That's what has people choosing you over any other, you know, bootleg app that shows up that allows you to send disappearing uh, pictures to your friends. You know, they're just very smart about it. And I think there's, there's a level of dedication that comes from being seen as an underdog for such a a long time. Uh, And I'm very excited to see where they go from here. Yeah. They're probably also taking all of that content and training their models, which is why they're so good. So interesting stuff. Well, with that, we're going to extend the length limit of this podcast uh, because we want to talk about the fifth thing here, which is Instagram extending their length limit for Instagram live broadcast. So Beth, take us home. Awesome. So Instagram has extended their length limit for live streams from 60 minutes to four hours, which I think is a really great and natural kind of update for them because we've seen on the platform that people just... They aren't limiting their live streams to an hour just because of those limits. They just will start a new live stream. So no longer do DJs or fitness instructors or even school teachers that would want to use the um, platform. They don't have to have these consecutive live streams. Instead, they can have that one full four-hour live stream. The other update here is... um, These people that do live stream will now also be able to save their 
streaming to the platform so they don't have to download it. They can just save it the same way you would kind of save a story and it'll be there for um, 30 days. And you'll have all of the comments and the likes and the interactions still saved in that live stream. And one last piece of this is that Instagram is also adding live streams to their discover function. So you'll be able to see and discover different Instagram live broadcasts um, through that function. So what do you guys think? This is this is a long time coming. I think it's amazing. I've been waiting for them to expand on this for a while. We talk about lo- longer live streams all the time with brands and we've had to come up with intricate solutions to stitch them together. So I'm really happy to see them taking this note. I also think um, as rights come up um, for sporting events in the future, this is going to set the table for Facebook and Instagram to make a play to have a bigger piece of the pie. Um, as it pertains to uh, sort of live broadcasting. So I'd be in, that's a spot to watch. I also think for original programming and feature length, it's interesting to see what they're trying to do. Um, so I think it's fascinating and, and a great opportunity for marketers to expand their storytelling. Juliana, what do you think? Yeah, I think in general, I'm just very, I'm, I'm interested in how it seems like Instagram is moving a little more into the video space just kind of overall, you know, with the, the pushing of reels and obviously, you know, this, the, the extension of live broadcasts and wondering where the space for that kind of, you know, this is a moment in time that Instagram was kind of built upon will fit into this new model. That's a little more like experience this with me as it's happening. So I'm just intrigued to see where that part of Instagram, which is kind of like, here's this, um, here's this scrapbook, of moments fits in with this new version of Instagram. That's kind of like television, if you will. Yeah. So true. I love it. Well, I think that's all the time we have. I'm so glad that Juliana was able to join us again. Juliana, you're always welcome back at the five things. Let me know if you have any more Snapchat stories to discuss and I'll be here in a minute. There you go. And Beth Rolfs, thank you as always for being a part of the show. Thanks for having me. And then while I have you here for one last minute, please don't forget to take the listener survey, especially you, Amanda, because this week you are a listener. Don't forget to vote. When this podcast goes live, tomorrow will be election day. So God bless America and let's see what happens. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, or comments, we've been actually getting a few of these. So email us at podcastatgray.com. That's podcast at gray.com. And as always, at the end of the day, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. I think it's by zip code. Yeah. But you can just leave it in and show that I misspoke. <laughs>